Good morning, Memphis, and happy Friday. Welcome to the morning show. We're going to have a lot of fun today, and boy, do we have a crazy, crazy show, starting with what's happening in Fulton County, Georgia, with a fiery district attorney. Is it Fonny? Is it Fatty? Is it Fanny Willis? I don't know. I hear all sorts of different names for this crazed district attorney that really is trying to throw Trump behind bars, right? Like, this is her whole thing. This is her claim to fame, much like Alvin Bragg, the other big dude in Manhattan. And that's another follow-up story. They're getting ready to to select an actual jury date for his case in New York with Stormy Daniels, that one. So back to Georgia. It was so unprofessional what was happening in the courtroom yesterday. It was also really funny. And we'll have all of the reactions, all of the highlights from the testimony yesterday where the district attorney had to actually go to the stand, put the hand on the Bible and tell the truth, but she did not. And so she could potentially be thrown out from handling and having this case and also maybe lose her license to practice law, which would be incredible, right? Because she is perjuring herself, as is her top prosecutor, her ex-lover, Nathan Wade. All right, so we're going to jump into that in two minutes. Let me tell you who's coming on our, I almost said Fox and Friends. No, Friday with Friends segment. No, we don't have a curvy couch in this studio, though that would be very cool. We have made a lot of improvements in this studio. It basically is a TV studio for Newsmax now because Todd does his Newsmax show here. So maybe, just maybe we get a couch in here. That would be super fun. Maybe just for Fridays because as I said, it is Fridays with Friends. Friends, so how about this? Shelby County Commissioner Mick Wright meets conservative commentator and activist, I would say, Shelly Chang. Both great patriots across the city of Memphis. And they're going to be live and in studio together to rip through some local headlines, weigh in on some national ones, and then a lot of fun with some random stories that we like to throw. We hang on to them for 30 minutes. Also, the chair of the GOP in Shelby County, Carrie Vaughn, is going to join us at 8.35 this morning. So yesterday, this explosive testimony where it all goes back to before 2021. And here's what you need to understand about this case is this is not about the fact that they are dating or they were dating and they ended up in bed together or at multiple cabins, or Napa. I mean, these people, they were taking cruises every other week. It's a wonder that they were able, able, even able to bring some form of a charge to present to a grand jury to indict President Trump and get that mugshot, right? Because they were just living this extravagant life. Now, where they are going to be in trouble is when their relationship started. Now, they have both vowed, or not vowed, they have both testified under oath, excuse me, that their relationship started in 2021. But that is not true, or at least there are counter arguments that their relationship started as early as 2019. Now, who is the top prosecutor that Fannie Willis picked to prosecute Trump? It would be her boyfriend, right? That is a conflict of interest. So it starts with one of the key people that testified against Fannie Willis 
and Nathan Wade. And it was another prosecutor in the office, a friend of Fannie Willis. They're not friends anymore. I can tell you that right now. So this ex-friend says on the record yesterday in front of prosecutors and a judge that this relationship did not start in 2021. It started much earlier. You'll also hear Fannie Willis, fiery Fannie, take the stand and say, she's not my friend anymore. Robin, we're done. We're no longer friends. Cut 15. Did you observe them do things that are uh, common among people having a romantic relationship? Yes. Such as, can you give us an example? Hugging, kissing, disaffection. All all before November 1st of 2021, correct? Yes. I have not spoken to Robin in um, over a year. I certainly do not consider her a friend now. Um, I think that she, you know, there's a saying, no good deed goes unpunished. And um, I think that she betrayed our friendship. (laughs) This woman is insane. She came unglued. I mean, I'm going to try to give her some respect, but I don't know how I can because she did not give herself any respect. I mean, we have multiple sound bites. Let's roll through a couple before we get to the nut of this story, right? Because right there, they are going to be able to say that both of these people, Nathan, the boyfriend, and Fanny lied. And if you are lying under oath, you perjure yourself and then boom, you're in deep, deep doo-doo, right? And you are not going to not only prosecute Trump, you're not going to be prosecuting anything. And why this is so important for Trump and the legal side is they may just end up dropping this altogether because you would need another district attorney's office to pick up these charges. And if that were to happen, that will be well after 2024 and the race in November, right? This is their big case. This is the racketeering case, right? Trump and all these 20 people, they were mobsters in trying to steal an election. So I want you to take a listen to a couple of these moments that just made national headlines. Here's one moment where she thought the lead attorney for the defendants called her a cash. Can I say this? I'll let you listen and we'll come back and talk about it. Cut three. My word. Cash hoard that you had collected over time. Cash what? Hoard. H-O-R-D-E. I thought you said something different, sir. No, I'm afraid I wouldn't say that. Uh-huh. Any circumstance, you or in All right, back on track. The hoard. Cash hoard. <laughs> I, I would not classify. He goes, cash hoard. She goes, cash what? Did you just call this black woman a cash? No. He's like, I would never do that, Fanny. Calm down. This isn't how you're going to escape punishment by the legal system then she goes on this poor guy her i mean imagine being the ex-lover of fanny willis i mean she threw him under the bus first by saying that she's not going to emasculate listen to how she emphasizes emasculate black men but then goes on to emasculate black men by saying all he was good for was basically sex and then the second thing was Asking her to make her a sandwich. You know that? What's the line, Dylan? Cool story, babe. Now go make me a sandwich. Yep. Basically talking about the patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. That women are best only in the kitchen. Right. And she said, Mm-mm, I'm best with a gavel in my hand. 
So that's our relationship, and it was tricky as we navigated it. So two sound bites. Take a listen to this in cut six. The characterization. I'm not going to emasculate a black man, but I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm sorry, what? I'm not going to emasculate a black man. Did you understand that? All right. Well, I don't Let's think you should discuss further. Holy Lord. Okay, so she then goes on to emasculate. I don't know if it's a black man, but the, her ex-boyfriend, by saying this, cut it. And did the forthcoming indictment have anything to do with that? Ooh. Or was it just a coincidence? <clears throat> Mr. Let's go on and have the conversation. I'll just ask you whether or not it was a coincidence. had absolutely nothing to do with this. It's interesting that we're here about this money. Mr. Wade is used to women that, uh, as he told me one time, the only thing a woman can do for him is make him a sandwich. We would have brutal arguments about the fact that I am your equal. I don't need anything from a man. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion. And so there was tension always in our relationship, which is why I was give him his money back. I don't need anybody to foot my bills. The only man who's ever foot my bills completely is my daddy. Is there anything else you would like to add to that? No. Sure. But I'm sure we'll talk about it further. No, we're not going to talk about it further. I- All right. No back and forth. Let's stay down. Next question. Oh, I'm sure that her daddy paid for some things. She has multiple daddies, right? Because Nathan Wade was one of her daddies. Because how this worked and why this is so wrong, conflict of interest, is big old Fanny would actually give cash to the guy that she hired, her boyfriend, and paid him him an exorbitant amount of money so they could go on all of these lavish vacations. And to cover her butt, she did it using cash. This is so embarrassing for our judicial system, but it was wonderful, wonderful to watch. So there's some speculation on what they were up to, right? Were they gallivanting together all across the world? Were they spending some time in each other's home? You have Nathan Dade being grilled on this. And I want you to take a listen because for some reason he cannot remember when Fanny walked into the cabin and it made a lot of headlines. Take a listen to this in Cut 11. I booked lots of cabins. Did you go to a cabin with Miss Willis ever? Ever? Ever. He's thinking, he's thinking. No. Mm. Took you a minute. (laughs) Oh boy. So here's how that worked. So Nathan took the stand first, and apparently she knew how bad he did that when it was time for her to take the stand, and there were some conflicting reports of whether she was actually going to jump up there and testify. Oh, when she realized how bad her ex-boyfriend did on it, and he did terrible. Every legal expert in the country said he just ruined their case. She runs. I mean, she booked it, <laughs> like hustled to the front, sits down, and then she starts testifying. Wants you to take a listen to it because then the judge had to reprimand her because she said this. Cut one. And where, um, when. 
did he come to, I guess, the condo? I'm not sure what you called it, condo apartment. Um, would he come and stay at that condo or visit you there? I'm sorry, visit you there. What condo, what apartment? I want to be clear. So not your house. I know you classified one as house and one as condo, so I'm trying to use those terms. So um, there's been more. That, see, what you don't understand is because of this case, I got to move. And so I, I need question, to, if you could ask a more precise question. Yes, please. Give me the time period. <laughs> Mr. Wade visits you at the place you laid your head. When? Has he ever visited you at the place you laid your head? So let's be clear because you lied in this, this. Let me tell you which one you lied in right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. This is the truth. Judge, and this it, is, it, it is a lie. It is gonna, a lie. Ms. Will, Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Be back in five. I mean, there's papers flying everywhere. You liar. You liar. So here's the judge. You're the judge. We've got to take five minutes. She's got to cool down before something nefarious happens in this courtroom. Here is the judge. I want you to take a listen to this in cut number 14. We all know what professionalism looks like, what decorum looks like, and devoting ourselves to the rule of law and proper advocacy. I would urge everyone to keep those principles in the mind, starting with the fact that we won't talk over each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have some more thoughts on this. Um, we're going to jump into some local headlines. Believe me, there's plenty to talk about on the local side. But we have to understand the significance of what happened in Fulton County, Georgia yesterday. This is their last effort to not only make sure Trump can never be the president of the United States again, but that he spends the rest of his days locked up in jail. She's the woman that is behind all of this. And she got caught with her pants. No, not Literally, but figuratively yesterday. Well, maybe literally as well. All right, 901-260-5926. Number again, 901-260-5926. More on the other side. And welcome back to the morning show. In just a couple of minutes, I'll be joined by our Friday with Friends panelist, that is Shelby County Commissioner Mick Wright and Shelly Chang, a great conservative in Collierville. These segments are so much fun, and I think it is a really great way for, especially Republicans, um, I'm, I'm going to extend the olive branch in our air to all of our friends, and that includes people that sit on the left, right? We are in... And we will turn that down, and we will get that back and going Dylan real quick it's all right it's live radio we go with the punches we roll with them so why this is really neat for as I was saying the Republicans is that there is a lot of division let's let's face it within our local GOP and I think that's a a sad thing because when you look at the state of our city this is an opportunity to start winning Right, It's not like we are living in a utopia right now. We are currently the most dangerous city in America. That gives the minority party here, which is the Republican one, an opportunity to sell a different city to Memphians. Okay, That's really good. That gives us leverage. But we're blowing a great opportunity and a golden ticket, if I could say that, because we're so splintered. So here on the morning show, what I am trying to do, and this is not me being some hero, 
Uh, no, it's just we have more in common than we have in conflict as a local party. And I'm not talking about the two guests that are joining me. I'm just talking about the, the fractions within the Republican Party. We need to come together and our message needs to be very clear and cohesive against one party, not each other, but the Democrat Party, because they have destroyed lives in this city. And we are the alternative choice. So by doing these segments, I feel like we're just broadening our base a little bit and showing everybody that we are a party that can find some unity, especially as we go into 2024. 2026 will be a huge year for the local GOP as well. So very excited to welcome in our guests in just a couple of minutes. Okay, so why, again, I am spending more time on this legal case down in Georgia as I said, this is about our judicial system because it is eroding right in front of our eyes. And that's why, while it is funny to see fiery Fanny sweating on the stand yesterday, it's not great for our country and its health. So it's very funny, or not funny, it's interesting to see how this district attorney handled The fact that she is now in the hot seat when she has been putting all of these defendants, the allies of former President Trump, in the hot seat. And she tries to flip the narrative yesterday while she is testifying on all of the other defendants that are threats to democracy. No, Fanny, you and your ex-lover are the true threats to democracy. But here's what she had to say in cut seven. So your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken when no, Mr. Wade. I mean, I and, well, no, no, no. Look, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. So, Well, you kind of are on trial and you're about ready to lose the trial against these defendants, including President Trump, there's 14 remaining defendants, and some of them have pleaded guilty to get some lesser charges. They shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake. And there was some reporting that President Trump himself was going to travel down to Georgia and sit in the courtroom. Wish he had done that. Now, I pulled this flashback because this district attorney ran on a campaign when she was running back in 2019 on, I am going to be the cure of corruption within the district attorney's office. For far too long, there has been corruption, scandal, sex, lies, think House of Cards within the district attorney's office. And me, Fanny, I'm going to fix and address this. This was her while she was running for election. Take a listen. It's a flashback in cut two. Because they deserve a DA that won't have sex with his employees. Because they deserve a DA that won't put money in their own pocket when it should go to benefit children. Because we deserve better. Mm, That aged well, right? Because she just turned around and had sex with her employees and took money too. It was funny because they were asking her about the cash, right? This cash that she was forking over to the boyfriend And they were wondering where the cash is coming from. And she kind of gave like an Oprah TED Talk. She was like, a black lady needs cash, right? We don't depend on any men. Clearly she did. And it appears that she had to pay to have a boyfriend, which is really, really sad. But even the legal panelists over on MSNBC, CNN, they said this is over for fan. And the fact that you have 
panelists on MSNBC saying this shows where this is going to go. Fanny is back on the stand at 9 o'clock Eastern time. That would be Central R's. And this continues, but take a listen to the panel on MSNBC and um, giving some analysis on what went down yesterday. Take a listen. It's, it's so legalistic centric and yet so important and fascinating. Right. Don't let the legalese fool you. This is epic. This is monumental. If things are going in the direction we think uh, Fonnie Willis lied to the court, it's game over for her. She will be disqualified um, if they had a relationship prior to when they uh, represented to, to the court. It's it's a huge deal. I, I can't overstate it. And do you. Uh oh. So she's. Put a fork in her. She's done. All right. We're going to, in the next segment, focus on a couple different local stories. Coming up, the whole controversy around Tennessee banning cold beer has now made national headlines. And I got picked up by the New York Post. And it's everywhere. Everybody's wondering what the hell is going down in the volunteer state. Two Republican lawmakers, Representative Gantt, in Piperton coming forward with this legislation that would ban cold beer. Not warm beer, but beer that is chilled in gas stations because this will end drinking and driving as we know it. Will it? We've had a lot of listeners that disagree. We'd love to hear from you guys. Our number is 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. More on the other side. Don't go away. A city full of culture, creativity, and compassion. A community resilient. There's a hope. Yet exhausted. Violence seems to have the upper hand. We love to tell the good stuff. It's getting drowned out by what's taking place. Leaving residents fed up. Something has got to be done. With the lawlessness running rampant. People are frustrated in this city. Frustrated with the small population wreaking havoc. People of the city are sick of it. So the question with that WREG piece that we just came back with is we are a city fed up with crime. It is a great city, though. How do we fix it? Maybe my next guests have some ideas. Want to welcome in my Friday with Friends panel, Shelby County Commissioner Mick Wright, and also Shelly Chang with Conservative Women of Collierville. Good morning, guys. Welcome to the studio. Good morning. Morning. How are you guys? Friday going all right? Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. It's the weekend is here. It's basically here. What's in the coffee cups? Is it just coffee? <laughs> just coffee. How do we drink coffee? I'm all black when it comes to how I take mine. Uh, I usually like a little cream in mine, but uh, lately I've had this sweet mouth thing going on. I don't know what it is, so now I'm going all black. Okay, cool. Yeah, you? I'm very sweet. I'm a I'm a Splenda guy. Oh, really? That's terrible. I'm sure I have <laughs> cancer for it, but, uh, you know. Yeah, well, I guess it does well for the diet, but it's fake sugar. So it's kind of like with the diet drinks out there, they're sometimes worse for you than actually just drinking the that's, saturated that's sugary drinks. True. Uh, that's not what we're going to talk about. So you heard that audio. Um, our city does feel like it is at a tipping point. And in that package, and got to give some credit to the journalists that did that, Jessica Gertler, great, great job. She goes through some of the challenges that we are facing that other cities across the nation are not. 
So with you, I'll start with you, Mick. Where do we go from here? Are there things we can do to address the frustration? Yeah, I think for sure there are things we can do, but we are, at, like you said, at a tipping point. We're way beyond it. Our city's dying, and uh, it, it's such a it, we're in such a terrible spot that it's there's not one thing that's going to fix it. I, I'm convinced that it's going to be all things. We need to do all things well and hold people accountable to doing their jobs. It was interesting, Shelley. They talked about some of Memphis's unique challenges, starting with a poverty rate. But then they took a look at the lack of parental involvement. And that's something we've talked a lot about on this morning show. And what they did, they interviewed Shelby County Criminal Court Judge Christopher Kraft. Fantastic judge. He says, a lack of dads, one of the contributing problems to our crime problem. Take a listen, cut 22. Lack of educational opportunities, meaningful employment, prejudice, trauma, lack of hope. Researchers also believe dysfunctional families play a role. Criminal court judge Christopher Kraft agrees. He became a judge 12 years ago. Since then, I've had three dads, just three dads of all the cases that I handle, testify in a sentencing hearing for their kid. Lack of a positive male influence, love and admiration. The pandemic made it worse. Schools and mentoring programs shut down but the gangs didn't. They have nothing. They have nothing positive in their lives except trying to impress their friends. Mom, you know, she might care about it. Uh, She might love them, but she's working too many jobs to make ends meet or she's on drugs or she's got other problems. We just need people to care enough to try to make a difference. I'll let you respond to that lack of familial structure. Yeah, I believe um, firmly that the family unit is broken. There is a lack of authority within the households, and because of that, there's the lack of accountability. There's no boundaries given to kids, youth, who then grow up to do worse things as adults, and there's no consequences for all that behavior as well. Mm-hmm. And how do we fix it? That's the biggest question. And I, I mean, I'm a faith believer, so um, I do believe that Christ out of the house is detrimental for all of that. Yeah. It's interesting because they will follow up with it takes everybody and it does, right? We need these nonprofits. We need these organizations working together. But for a lot of people, they're just trying to put food on their table. So when our leaders are saying, we need you to fix this too, I'm thinking, "Mm, I have my own issues. Where is the responsibility placed on these families? Like, I understand it goes back years and they would point the finger of poverty and systemic racism. But at the end of the day, we have got to get back, Mick, to personal responsibility. Yeah. But that doesn't election well, right? If you are campaigning on what well, you yourself are responsible. Yeah, it's accountability across the board. That's that's the word I'm using in every case. Uh, it just seems like our entire system is falling down on the job. You have general sessions court judges who would rather release someone than um, hold them behind bars, even in a case of attempted murder that we saw recently over the last weekend. So it's just across the board, we need accountability and people doing their jobs. You know, I think people are getting fed up. Speaking of that case, there was a young 18-year-old in the Muslim community that was gunned down. He was working at the vape shop that he had held this job. Guy just walks in, shoots him. This 20-year-old quadrarian craft is his name. Well, the family held a press conference and they are over the loose and lax judicial system. Take a listen. Cut 17. 
Not what we see, what happened to our, our, our dear brother, son, working at his uh, shop. Isn't that barbarity? We have an epidemic of crime. We are really devastated of what happened. We need the system to be changed. Community members are demanding city leaders to hold parents accountable for their children's crimes and find innovative solutions to youth violence. Those that are 12, 13, 14, 15, if they see us as examples, then they can be us as examples. So you may think that you're doing not enough or you're not being seen, but representation matters. I think it's important for all of us just to be present. So there then lies the question, should parents be held somewhat accountable? This is now becoming pretty bipartisan for their children's crimes, which I know can be controversial. Shelly, what do you think? That's a tough one. Um, obviously, every person is responsible for their own behavior. And I think as uh, the kids grow up, then that falls clearly on their shoulders. Uh, when they're younger, it is the parents' responsibility to raise them in a way that um, follows the laws of our, our, you know, our country. Yeah, yeah. All right, want to move on to another, I guess, this one is controversial, right? Because now there is new legislation. We'll zoom out a little bit from Shelby County. Look at the state. There is a bill right now that would ban cold beer. <laughs> this is what's important, Mick and Shelly, banning cold beer. And you've got some good intention behind the legislation, I think, for the representative that brought this forward. I was reading a report. He, I guess, was injured in a drinking and driving incident. Here is Representative Ron Gant explaining why this legislation needs to be brought forward. Cut 26. We make alcohol so available for the bad actors to take advantage of. Gant underwent multiple surgeries after a drunk driver hit him head on in 2022. The man still uses a cane to hobble around the walls, the halls of the legislature here to serve his constituents. Much of Tennessee's legislation has been to increase punishments for DUIs and repeat offenders. Gant says he understands that, but the concepts are too reactive instead of being proactive. Those pieces of legislation are good, but that's after the fact, after somebody has already lost their child or their mother or their father. I'm actually trying to save lives here in this state. So the question is, can you legislate stupid and irresponsible behavior? Mm. Yeah, this is a this is a really tough one because I, my heart really does go out to him. He had a head on collision at a high rate of speed from someone who was inebriated and he's still paying the price. I mean, you look at him, he's, he's, his body is affected by that. But thankfully, he, he got some treatment. I, I would say, you know, I was thinking about this on the way over because you had shared some of the, uh, what, what we were looking at, some of the headlines today. But um, I was thinking, you know, those self-driving cars, maybe that's the answer down the road. Instead of, instead of more legislation, maybe we get more technology involved. You think that would work in Shelby County? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, Shelly, I want you to get uh, some response to legislators on both sides. We'll start with some Republicans. This is actually um, the lieutenant governor, and then you'll hear the Democrats pushing back on this cold beer ban. 25. Appears a little bit too heavy-handed as a way to, to stop that. Eliminating access to cold beer? You're going to start a war. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of Tennesseans might have a problem with that. I think it's ridiculous that we are t more, moving with more urgency to ban cold beer than we are to ban weapons of war from our street. Okay, Justin Pearson, you can 
You, uh, that was Justin Jones. You can sit down. But <laughs> Shelly, uh, we, we actually had a listener reach out and said that her mother was killed as a result of drinking and driving. But even she said a legislation, a law like this would probably not have prevented that loss of life. Yeah, I'm, I appreciate what uh, this, what they're trying to get with this. And I think that's great that we're having these conversations. But to me, it is personal responsibility. Again, we're going back to the person who is doing this. Just like he said about the, the guns, it's not the gun that killed. It was the person that killed. And just like the person who was behind that wheel, it wasn't the alcohol behind the wheel. It was the person behind the wheel. And um, I, I mean, I, I feel bad for the and I understand that there's a lot of loss of lives, but I don't think this is the way to go about it. But I, I do appreciate that we are having discussions about it. Yeah. And maybe that's the end goal for Representative Gantz. Maybe it's just to start the conversation. Drinking and driving is terrible, but I don't know that this is going to solve it. Again, going after just chilled beer and not warm beer. Do we yeah. have any stats on that? Like how much cold beer has caused this? <laughs> well, here's what my boss was asking yesterday on the show. Take a listen. Cut 13. Yeah, so they're, they're, the argument is from the Republicans that this is going to cut back on drunk driving because people are not going to drink warm uh, Baptist martinis or, or root beers. So I have an, I, I want to add an amendment, and maybe we could get uh, John Gillespie to add an amendment to this. I think we need to just ban ice. Maybe that's the solution here. <laughs> so... There you go. Well, I'll I give you the last word. Yeah, I was just curious. Does it cover you know restaurants and and or ballparks and all those other situations? It, it just seems like it should be across the board if it's going to be anything. So that's where it just doesn't make sense to yeah. me. If you want okay. to end the epidemic of drinking and driving, ban drinking. Correct. You know, you could go you know to the nth degree with this. So, anyways, we'd love to hear from you guys. We're going to keep these two for another segment. So don't go away. 901-260-5926. We'll be right back. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to our Friday with Friends segment. And these are Friends. Shelly Chang with Conservative Women of Collierville and one of our Shelby County Commissioners, Mick Wright. You guys, do you guys know each other? This is the fun thing about paneling up people across the city we know of each other right. but we just met downstairs right cool yeah. well this is very exciting well shelly mick yeah mick, thank, thank you Kwam, for giving us an opportunity to to collaborate yes yeah. awesome all right so let's go to our phone lines real quick we were having a conversation about parental involvement and should parents be linked to their children's crimes david wants to weigh in david you're on the air with friends this morning how are you and what's on your mind I'm doing great. I know it sounds like a good idea, but I mean, I think all you're doing is just telling kids that somebody else is going to pay for their crime. I mean, we—that's not really going to solve anything. I think you need to hold the kids responsible, punish them, send them to juvie, whatever you got to do. Hmm. That's a that's an interesting point. Um, do you guys want to take a stab at that? I mean, there's something to that. I think where this conversation, David, and you raised such a good one, is now back in the news was because of that mother of that teenager that went on a school shooting rampage up in Michigan. And so now the legal framework has been set because it was an unprecedented ruling that parents could be tied to their children's crimes. Now, in that case, David, and you guys, it was egregious, the negligence of these parents. So I think to your question, 
we would have to know what the framework of that per- parent was doing with those children, right? Did they just wake up one day and their child decide to go crazy or have these parents been pad parents for for years? That's going to be tricky for a legal system that's already broken to try to navigate. Yeah, I think that's a good point there. I'm just saying, I think for some, if you try to do that broadcast up the wide net, I don't think it's going to work because you've got, you're not teaching the kid anything. If you just got some, you know, 11 year old out here breaking into cars, what are they going to learn by that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not really going to solve anything that well, if I do this, mom's going to jail. And what, what good does that do? I mean, I know that sounds great to people who are like, yeah, they're going to have better parenting. We do need better parenting. The, the matriarchal culture we have built um, all over a lot of cities where you have no dad in the home for like four generations, that's coming back to roost now, but nobody wants to talk about that because it requires actual serious conversations that you'll get called a bunch of names for. But that, that goes a long way too. But nobody wants to discuss that type of thing. So that's where I think you're just, you're just kind of passing the buck a little bit to these, to these, you know, it sounds great to people, but I don't see how that's really teaching the kid anything. So they're going to grow up to be 18 and then we're going to get, then we're going to punish them. So we'll let them do, we'll let them do six, seven years of crime. We have 11 year olds out here breaking the cars now. We'll let them do seven years of crime. Then we'll get serious and start punishing them. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. But that's government. So that's, that just makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. That's all I had. I appreciate it. Hey, appreciate you, David. Um, I spent some time at 201 Poplar. No, not in jail, but <laughs> in, in some of the criminal courts last week. And it was something to see these young defendants. I mean, we're talking kids as young as 14, 15, 16, and their parents show up. And they're outside of the courtrooms and they're manic. They're screaming. They're emotional. And now they are acting like parents. I think you've, you were a little late. Um, and, and it's unfortunate because the kids are the ultimate losers when there is a lack of mom and dad. Speaking of mom and dads, let's talk about this. The New York Post with this headline. Gen Z, which are like young kids, like young. I am falling in that barely out of it. They are bringing their parents to interviews, okay? Because these young kids are unprepared to answer some questions. They're saying helicopter parenting has reached a new level. Here is the stat. In December, Intelligent, which is a survey company, surveyed over 800 managers, directors, and executives involved in hiring processes. It found that 39% of employers are actively avoiding Hiring these young Gen Zers that are straight out of college. What they also found, a startling one in five, that's 19% of these recent college graduates are bringing mom and dad into the interview room. <laughs> I don't understand. I really don't. I, I, I thought this was America. What in the world? How are you getting through college and you still need mom and dad to come with you and hold your hand? I, I really don't understand. This goes back, Shelly, to parents being bad parents like i understand you want to be in the playground with your kids and have them in a helmet and you want knee helicoptering exactly but you've got to let kids grow up right um i can speak a little into this because i actually i've read this and i have a child who is a senior in college right now so he is exactly who this article is talking about and um we've raised our children to know how to speak to adults how, and we're in the theater industry, so it actually might have a step up on that because they sort of already have interviews because mm-hmm. they're auditioning. 
So um, in that regards, but it is on the parents. It's on the family. They need to be teaching them how to speak to adults, how to dress appropriately, uh, study the job that they're looking for and stop doing the job for them. 53% of employers surveyed back in December said recent college graduates struggle with eye contact. (laughs) Yeah, that's what happens when you grow up on a phone, right? You're not talking to anybody. (laughs) 50% said they asked for unreasonable compensation. What? I'm working a five to nine and making $40,000 a year. I'm not doing that. 47% said they don't dress appropriately for interviews. And 21% said they refuse to turn their cameras on in these virtual interviews. They're just soft. They don't want to work anymore. (laughs) You know, the word work has a different meaning for them, I guess. As someone who is in this age bracket, this is so true. Like you well, I think it's more than that too, because you talk about having the camera off. I mean, that that's my a lot of my colleagues. We have these online meetings now. Ever since COVID, I think COVID and all those policies really added to that anxiety, talking to people, um, just being remote all the time. And so we lot there was a gap of a couple of years where we became antisocial. Yeah, and and when did we get so soft? And that's where, as I look at older people. While we get a lot of blame for being really weak, I look at the people that raised us to being super soft, right? Like, again, I'm not pointing the blame at some of these parents, but these kids didn't become this way on their own. Or did they? Well, <laughs> this generation is, is, I call it that trophy generation, where just because you're on the team, you get a trophy. Yeah. And it doesn't mean anything. You, you don't learn how to lose. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Um, have a couple more headlines. I'm going to throw at you guys. So I'm going to hang on to you for one more segment, segment, and then we'll let you get back to your day jobs. All right. Sounds cool. great. All right. More on the other side. Would love to hear from you guys. What happened to this generation? Is Gen Z too weak or was it the parents raising these kids that made them that way? Did helicopter parenting go too far? Yes or no, would love to hear from you guys. 901-260-5926. Our number again, 901-260-5926. Go grab some coffee, pull up a chair, and the conversation continues on the other side. Don't go away. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to The Morning Show. And we're going to have a lot of fun in this next segment. Also, at 835, the chair of the GOP, Kerry Vaughn, is going to join the show. We're going to talk about early voting and getting out the vote to make sure we can win a seat or two. That would be amazing. So my panelists stuck around for one more segment. Typically, they're 30, but uh, as you guys know, these segments fly by. want to welcome back to another segment Shelby County Commissioner Mick Wright and a great patriot in Collierville, Shelly Trang. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, let's talk. So you guys know the problem with cars being stolen off the streets, all time, all time high. Um, I was looking at a report. I believe it's 50 cars stolen off Memphis streets every single day. Last year, 12,000 cars stolen. The year before, 10,000. That would be 22,000 cars Stolen, And this is not just a stat for people. This is a reality. And this story caught my attention. You've got a couple. They are out on Valentine's Day, like we all were, doing something fun. And they stop at this restaurant. Thank you. Um, They go to Napa Cafe right here in East Memphis. 
And they were in there for about five minutes. They sat down. They have this beautiful Corvette. When all of a sudden, this happened. Take a listen. Cut 16. There is no place that is safe. This was a Valentine's Day. We're going out. No thought about it. that, That has changed for me. But we are not safe. And it does not matter what area of the city whether it's in Memphis, whether it's Shelby County, whether it's day, whether it's night, night, there's an issue. We have to quit excusing unacceptable behavior, regardless of the conditions. I'm really fearful of going get what I want, because somebody might take it. If I could do it all over again, uh, I'd have kill switches, uh, trackers, and the arm bar, purely from a personal items or personal things. That, but from a safety standpoint, You should be very aware of your surroundings at all times. So again, the facts of this case, they arrive at Napa Cafe at 6 o'clock. At 6.05, their Corvette, their mode of transportation, gone. And that was their response. Unbelievable. Yeah, everywhere I go, I'm asking the audience if they've changed their practices over the past year or two. And almost everyone has. Everyone's done something, you know, I... Have, you know, those little Apple um, air air trackers, like, yeah. you know, at the very least some way to track your car. Because, I mean, chances are now you're going to lose it in the streets of Memphis. Yeah. You know, there was a mandate coming out of the Big Apple, which I believe you have a child in. Um, Eric Adams started handing out Apple air tags like they were candy because they also have a very similar problem. Ours is worse. And mind you, our population is just over 600,000 people. Theirs is 8 million, uh, we're beating them. So Eric Adams starts handing out, like it parades, air tags to place in these vehicles. So it's not if your car is stolen, it is only when your car is stolen. And when I read that headline, I thought, no, my job is not to track my car. My, your job is to make sure my car is not stolen. In the Shelley? first place. Yes, yep. it shouldn't be stolen in the first place, period. Yeah. This Absolutely. is crazy. So, and, I, and I've changed my mode. He did ask that, and he, he does do that. And uh, for Valentine's Day, we went to Cargillville because of that. I was like, oh, it's going to be late at night. I don't want to have to worry about it. Because if I were a thief, I would take the opportunity to go, where is somebody going to be um, not available and going to be out for a bit? Yeah, yeah. Well, did you see the story, SOB, south of Beale, downtown? They had to cancel all of their reservations on Love Day on Wednesday because there was crime happening above the facility and the apartments above canceled all of the Valentine's Day reservations because crime is that bad because crime is so bad memphis police and cj davis held a crime forum to talk to local businesses local businesses and different business owners that are fed up with the crime problem they gave some tips some solutions to addressing how maybe this won't be a problem for their customers coming to their parking lots and walking out and their car being gone here was one suggestion take a listen 21 we created the positions, we created 50 positions to bring some very knowledgeable, you know, retired officers back. A lot of them really want to continue to give in the community. That is C.J. Davis. There were former or, or there were former retired Memphis police officers who were there. One suggestion brought to the table was that business owners, you should purchase fog machines, fog machines to prevent these burglars from ransacking your businesses. Cut 20. It releases a fog that is so thick, it causes the perpetrator to lose their equilibrium. They can't see, it's so thick. 
So <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, so they walk into this store that they are going to rob the burglars. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know the haunted houses you walk into <laughs> and they hit you with the fog machine? It will create a series of equilibrium or they'll lose their, their senses. And therefore, maybe, just maybe, they will not smash and grab said burglary. These poor business owners. I mean, where do they go at this point? Because what is supposed to be working isn't working. It's not. Yeah. I, I'm speechless on that. I mean, what is it going to take? A moat? Um, a dragon? Uh, uh, you know, junkyard dogs? I, I know we've tried a lot of things in the past, but uh, th- this is unreal. Yeah. I, can't, I really can't believe it. I yeah. mean, if you start using fog, then you're then your video surveillance isn't going to be any helpful. <laughs> yeah, when I saw the whole thing about the fog machines maybe being the last line of defense for these business owners, I thought, okay, put a fork it's in it. It's too late. Too late. Um, speaking of crime, race agitator, in my opinion, I'm opinion, Ben Crump is saying that to address and reduce crime across the country, but specifically in places like Memphis, we need to change the definition of crime. Because the way that crime legislation has been crafted is, is racist. Here is Ben Crump. We can get rid of all the crime in America overnight, just like that. And people ask how, Attorney Crump, change the definition of crime. Mm. Of course. If you get to define what conduct is going to be made criminal, you can predict who the criminal is going to be. It sounds like we are criminal, though. Yeah. Our existence no, is the culture. But they no, made no, no. the laws. They made the law to criminalize our culture. To fit up. Black culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so when I think of Eric Garner, I always think of stuff like that. Lucy cigarettes. I did nothing. So there you go. That will reduce crime if we just actually eliminate crime and laws addressing it. Because they are white supremacists in nature and they come at black culture. Shelly, you want to take a stab? Um... Yeah, I believe that uh, morality um, is is based on some truths, and those truths are equal upon any race that you are. I don't think it's based just on being a black person. And um, redefining, no. I mean, are, are we going to allow Asians to refine or redefine? Are we going to allow the illegal immigrants um, coming over the border right now to redefine what, the, I mean, have the cartel? It's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I have nothing to add to that. that yeah. that's, that's on point. Yeah. All right. Last thing I wanted to hit you with, this is on a less serious note, but it is a crime. Tipping in America has become a crime. <laughs> I'm over going and grabbing a coffee. The barista barely looks at me and throws hot coffee at me. Not literally, but just hands me the cup of coffee. It's typically $8 because I go to Starbucks. I'm sorry. I still go there. Um, then they flip the kiosk around after they do not look at me, but hand me my coffee and expect me to on the pad, the iPad in front of me, tip 15 or 20 percent. So one coffee shop owner, and this comes out of Salt Lake City, is eliminating tipping once and for all. Take a listen to this. Since when are we tipping for everything? So I definitely feel tipping fatigue because we get pretty busy in the summer. Tips are pretty good. And then we get a little slower in the winter and tips are pretty bad. And I didn't feel like it was right for my employees to be making less money in those slower months. So to abolish tips, he raised prices by about a dollar a cup. The tip is essentially included in the price already. So the prices up on the board are exactly what you pay. That allowed him to raise worker pay from $8 an hour to $10. 
$18 an hour. Everett, who's been working here for two years, doesn't miss turning the computer screen around to prompt customers to tip. It was awkward. But he loves earning more per hour. I know how much I'm going to bring home, and it's really comforting um, because tips can be very volatile. So the question is, are you willing to pay a little bit more for your cup of coffee if that eliminates the tipping crisis that we are in? What do you think? I mean, I think that's smart. I, I do. I do. Um, I do think there's a role for tipping. I do appreciate that. That 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 can be a time where you can show appreciation for someone that you don't know, someone who's done a good job. And so let's let's just put that in the in the right perspective. So maybe moves like this could help. Well, you heard in that package, and again, that was by KUTV in Salt Lake City. It's not only awkward for the customers of the coffee; it's kind of awkward for the barista. Because you said, it's kind of awkward, I have to flip the screen around, and then you have to tip, what, 20%? Right, and they're looking at it. I mean, to me, when I go to a food truck and I get that, I'm, I'm thinking, if I don't tip them, are they going to do something to my food before I get it? <laughs> like spinning you it. You know? Yeah. Like, really. So, <laughs> and then I'm looking at this whole service industry, who, who we all serve each other, too. So, it, but like, mix that, and you know, I want to be able to give something extra to those that, that go over and beyond, but and, it's an option. And that is what we're missing in all of this because we've gone overboard and oversaturated tipping. It actually disenfranchises the good servants out there right. and servants as being those in the service industry, right? Like if I already have to, and it's included in my bill, you've been to those restaurants mm-hmm. where gratuity is already added, that makes me angry as a customer and I don't have to tip in theory, but I'm not going to tip them what I maybe would have if that would have been left to me. Correct. Yep. So it is awful. I, you guys, I will tell you, and I am such a soft person when I look into those people's eyes. I but this, this gives a choice to the customer to make that decision. And the government's not telling this business to do what they have to do. Mm-hmm. So it's giving, it's giving them that option to do it. So there's pros and cons. And as a, an employee, then you have a steady income, you know, that bonus that, or their tips, you know, is more steady. Well, so. lucky for those employees in Salt Lake City because yes. now they're making eighteen dollars an crazy. hour. That's insane. Well, I, you know, tip tip jobs can be very lucrative, lucrative. Can be a very good. You know, some if you're a good employee, family members who work at Sonic and Sonic takes tips. Like it's sort of a unique situation, but um, yeah, is I think it, there's a balance. Is it wrong to ask the person that has been so great to you in giving you like your scoop of ice cream? If I tip you, is it going into a big melting pot? And is it going to be distributed evenly? Because I don't want to do that. Can I throw you a couple dollar bills underneath the counter? I, I know that's probably breaking protocol, but that started a couple years ago. Do you remember that when it was like, well, to level out the playing field, we are going to just take all of the tips. And at the end of the workday, we're going to punch it in a calculator and all of our employers are go- employees are going to get the same amount of money. No, that's not fair. They're not doing the same amount of work. Nope. In many cases. So, love to hear from you guys. Tipping, did we take it too far? I believe we did. And my guest who yes. dropped by this morning seems to agree. Thank you both for dropping Thank by. Super fun. Taking your calls on the other side, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. We'll be right back. Well, that was fun. I love Fridays for multiple reasons, but biggest among them is the fact that I just get to hang out with some really cool, cool people. And we do this every single Friday and they have become wildly, wildly popular. So appreciate 
Shelby County Commissioner Mick Ray, as well as Shelly Chang with Conservative Women of Collierville dropping by the show. Um, this story that I am going to share with you is very, very insane, um, where the Biden regime, they are currently suing our state ladies and gentlemen, and they're doing it over a law that would punish prostitutes for knowingly spreading, right? This is intentional. This is deliberate. This is not an accident. Spreading HIV, which is uh, in many cases can be a very, it's chronic and it can be deadly. And so what we have seen is, and this is also a tidbit, a fact that you might not be aware of. Memphis has one of the highest prostitute populations in the state. All right. So this is affecting people in our state. So what happened a couple years ago, and by a couple, I mean 1991, there was a Tennessee law that was passed and it characterizes intentionally spreading HIV as aggravated prostitution, right? It's violent. It's purposeful. This occurs when a person engages in any sexual activity that they are knowing that they have this infection. Now, if a person convicted of this aggravated prostitution could face up to 15 years in prison. This is the law of the land in Tennessee. Well, there has been an effort to increase the punishments of this aggravated prostitution. This new law would require those convicted of aggravated prostitution to now register as sex offenders for life, meaning those convicted cannot live or accept employment within 1,000 feet of any school, daycare center, other child care facilities, public parks, playgrounds, yada, 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 yada. The DOJ, Biden's DOJ, is whining that these restrictions, this law, violates HIV-infected prostitutes and their ability to live, work, and go on in public. What I find very almost racist about this memorandum coming from the regime, Biden's DOJ, is that this is affecting black people. I mean, they just say it out loud, don't they? So there are some activists across the state that are now very upset about this. As a matter of fact, you had a group of activists, LGBT activists, go to the state house this week and inquire more about this law. This was actually before the DOJ came out yesterday and is suing Tennessee for doing the right thing. Is it controversial to say you should face charges if you knowingly, intentionally, deliberately spread HIV to someone? But I guess in Biden's America, the person being infected intentionally, they are the perpetrators. They are the bad guys. And the prostitutes that are spreading this deliberately, they're the good guys. And this law is terrible and it is racist and it is homophobic. And in the words of Krista Wright, the director of outreach and prevention at the Haven in Memphis, an LGBT group in town, it is transphobic. 19, please. They hurt the trans community. They hurt the LGBTQ community in a way that is so stigmatizing that it weighs on the mental health. 
of the people who are not being able to live out loud, just being themselves. This bill keeps people from getting tested. It doesn't keep the crime from happening. What we're doing today doesn't stop today. We're going to keep on being in the face of our legislatures until we get some change. Okay. Well, you're talking about two different things. They're not talking about your regular Joe or Josephine, the transgender community out there. They're talking about prostitutes that are spreading this on purpose. It's kind of like a form of terrorism. And yet, again, the DOG, DOJ, excuse me, cracking down on the volunteer state over this. These people are awful. In other news, a local story that has a lot of people concerned about the shenanigans going on in the MPD. A former Memphis police officer had his badge permanently removed for the rest of his life, potentially. His name is Demetrius Walker, and here is the story. I'll share it with you. So he was making his rounds, and rounds being on bad apps. I'll just say that. Gay, not dating apps, but hookup apps while he was on the job. So Demetrius, only 21 years old, meets an underage boy. And they go to an abandoned apartment and they link. That's what they do. While Demetrius was serving within the Memphis Police Department. Now, unfortunately for Demetrius, his gun was stolen by the young teenager. That's not good. And I guess the teenager refused to give the officer's gun back to him. So Demetrius realizes very quickly this has gone from bad to worse. So he phones into the control center at MPD headquarters and makes up, fabricates a story claiming that someone, some crazy perpetrator out there, is stealing his gun. But that's not the story at all. It's also being reported that this Demetrius officer, now ex-MPD officer, bought the kid cigarettes. Now, he is defending himself by saying that the teenager lied about his age, about being underage. But that didn't go over too well because yesterday he found himself in front of a disciplinary action committee where they came after his badge. So then after this situation happens yesterday where they roll that you cannot continue having your job, he then claims that he is the victim because his gun was stolen from... From him. I cannot make up this story. We've got the audio. I want you to take a listen to this and cut 18. And I, I like to say, if you really look at the overall situation of that, I was the victim. He stole my weapon. Then not only did he stole my weapon, he caused me to lose my career. Yes, I should have been more responsible and did proper investigation when I uh when I had met him, but I didn't do that at the time. And you also shouldn't have lied, right? You called 911 saying that your weapon was stolen and you didn't know who had done it. Okay, so when you're, uh, I don't think people understand, when you're in a stressful situation, you don't know what you're going to say, you don't know what what you're going to do when you're in a stressful situation. You just don't know. Oh, oh, Demetrius. But you should know. You should know not to be on these apps while you're patrolling our streets, you should also not buy underage boys cigarettes and then get in the sack with them. Because now you lost your badge. Now, he says that he is 21 and he was immature when this unfolded because this happened a year ago. 
He wishes he could keep his certification, his certificate, and his ability to work for Memphis Police's badge. But now he's working for a corrections officer, so... Mm. Bad, bad Demetrius, to state mildly. On the other side, we're going to be joined by Shelby County GOP Chair Carrie Vaughn. Very excited for that conversation. And we'll check in on some of your comments as well. I know this has been a crazy fast Friday show. Check in and hear what the good people of our listening audience are saying as well. You can always pick up the phone, give us a phone call, weigh in on any of these stories. That number again is 901-260-5926, 901-260-KWAM. We'll be right back. So you guys know in our state house, it is crazy. There are more headlines being generated by that body than I think than I think any other state legislature in the country, oftentimes for very dramatic, weird reasons. But there are some cool things happening in the state legislature. Do you know that there is a chaplain of the day for the Tennessee State Senate? where ministers from across the state will be invited. Well, my next guest, who is a friend of the show, was invited and actually had the honor to do such a thing. GOP chair in Shelby County, Carrie Vaughn, joins the show. Carrie, welcome back to the morning show. Hey, happy Friday. This is ex- this was kind of neat because, what, you address the body and you share a prayer over the state Senate. Can you share what that was like? I saw the photos. Looked like a very neat experience for you. Well, my, my thanks to Senator Paul Rose and uh, just the opportunity and privilege to go up to Nashville and to be a part of that meeting on Monday evening and then to pray for our state, uh, to pray for the 33 senators, our lieutenant governor, the 95 counties, the three divisions, and just pray that God will continue to give us favor. And what we're trying to do in the days ahead, it was a wonderful opportunity. You know, Ben, one of these things that that finally hit me Monday night was we can do a lot of different activities and we can carry out a lot of responsibilities. But the best thing we can do and the best weapon we have and the best tool we have is prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly. Speaking of the state Senate, it's pretty neat to see State Senator Brent Taylor, right? go to bat for our constituents making Memphis matter. Are you seeing that? Are you hearing that when you talk to the guys over in Middle Tennessee? Absolutely. I I think Brent's in a situation where he is quarterbacking a lot of those opportunities for uh, not just Memphis Shelby County, but for West Tennessee. And I'm excited to see that. I had an opportunity uh, Monday evening to have dinner with him and Senator Paul Rose, and uh, these guys are aggressive. I mean, they are tenacious uh, and living out what we voted them in to do, and I'm really excited about that. I think with Brent, you know, he sees an opportunity. You know, there was a day where we had Martin Norris, Senate Majority Leader. We had other people uh, that led across West Tennessee, Ron Lawler, who was a great state rep for District 99. We had other people that uh, Jim Tracy, who went on to lead USDA for the state, but we've been missing some of that. We've been missing those fighters for West Tennessee, and I think you're going to see Brent emerge even more to carry that responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a great point. It's neat to see how that message of I am a fighter and I'm also a conservative has crossed and has reached groups of people. 
um, Mr. Vaughn, that typically wouldn't be, I don't want to say welcomed into the party, but have for years been a part of the Democrat Party. Brent was on the show, the state senator, just a couple weeks ago, and he said, I have been getting more messages from from Democrats that are also sharing the same concerns that Republicans do, which is that we don't feel safe here. A good template as we go into an election year and elections going into 2025 and 2026. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the, the one thing we have on the front burner is Lisa Arnold, right? 34 years uh, down with the county. We're working through that department. Uh, she's not a politician. Uh, she's never really been a candidate. But here, here's the neat thing. She can do the job. She could do the job tomorrow. She can hit the ground running. She has the resume. She has the subject matter experience. She has the knowledge. She has the contacts. We need to get behind her because she can make a difference. You know, with that General Sessions court clerk, Mm -hmm. you know, she can be very impactful and uh, really influence some things day one. Not not 100 days in, but day one. Yeah. Yeah. She was on the show yesterday. I agree with you. 40 years of experience. And it is a countywide election, which means that there is more of a shot than if it was maybe a city election. Yes, they are partisan, but there are a lot of Republicans out in the burbs that need to get off their butts, for lack of better words, and vote. So how do we get our base activated? I think we have to remind our base that the people that are holding those jobs now are not showing up for work. I mean, that's, you know, the great philosopher Woody Allen said 90% of life is showing up. And so I think, you know, we, we have people that are not uh, carrying out the duty of the job they've been elected to. So I think with Lisa, you know, she's not an activist. She's not a retiree. Uh, she's not a technocrat. She's somebody that has lived the job, can do the job. And we need to get out of the House and go to the ballot box in August and vote her in. That will be a turning point for us as we continue to fight this issue of crime. And then it leads us into August and November for the national elections. And uh, this is going to, we say it all the time, Ben, this may be the most important election of our lives. But can I say this? This fall will be the most important election of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you have to say it when you look at the state of the country right now and how everything has become weaponized against conservatives, against Republicans. Um, we cannot afford to spend our time fighting with each other. I mean, the elephant in the room is that there is definitely some some fractions. There are groups over here within the Republican Party. There's groups over there. We're not going to jump into all of that. But how do we get a cohesive message together? Because I would recommend, and I know you're on the same page, that our number one job as a Republican Party and as conservatives is to not fight within our party, but to fight against the Democrats. And again, I'm referring politically to win in November, to win in some of these races that are just around the corner. So how do we get on one page and move the party forward and move right into their seats? Well, I think we would all agree that we are here to vote the right people in. I mean, that's first and foremost. But the caveat to that is, if we can't raise money and we can't raise awareness, then we can't get that done. And, and it's been my experience that we're never going to raise money if we're fighting and biting one another. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have a tendency to do that. 
And But you look at the Dems, and they don't do that. They're more of a unified front. And so I would just say, you know, again, we need to lay down the swords as we go into August and November and say, look, if we don't become one cohesive collective unit, we're not going to raise the money. We're not going to raise the momentum. And what that does in return, we don't elect the right candidates. And yeah. so to me, that's the message is yeah. that, look, we have enough that we agree upon. And so let's maximize the next six months to make that happen. Yeah, I agree with you. We have more in common, I think, than we have in disagreement. Uh, last question. Early voting is now here. How important is it when you talk to uh, folks across the state of Tennessee? Scott Golden was on the show just last Friday and he said, listen, for years, Republicans have been the party of same day voting. Those days are long over. So get out and vote and get out and vote early. How important is it that we activate ourselves ahead of the game day? Well, we just talked about it yesterday. I was in Jackson, Tennessee yesterday and uh, was a part of the uh, Frankie Lack show. And uh, Senator Bill Haggerty called in and, and the three of us, we talked about this. And the senator said, we win elections early voting. I mean, point blank, we win elections early voting. So what we have to do is say we're not going to wait. We're going to cast the vote. But it's 50 people telling 50 people telling 50 other people to do the same thing. But it's very critical. It's yeah. very critical, especially as we we know that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. But as we get into November, early voting will be crucial for us to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to fight like we're, you know, 15 15- Yards, miles, <laughs> whatever behind, because it's an uphill battle, even though right now it feels like we have momentum in the country. GOP chair here in Shelby County, Kerry Vaughn on the phone lines. Thanks for dropping by and continue working. We are going to do this as one group and hopefully oust some of these Democrats that, in my opinion, are making this a less desirable place to, to live. And that's stating it lightly. Thanks for dropping by, Mr. Vaughn. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. All right. Have a good weekend. Good stuff. You as well. On the other side of the break, there is some controversy with the Memphis Tigers and one of their students, University of Memphis student Dylan Dandridge, is going to break down some of the controversy because there is continued conversations about leadership under the watch of Penny Hardaway. Some people saying he needs to go. Some people saying he is a great coach and that would be a huge loss to the Tigers. So we'll have that conversation on the other side. Don't go away. And welcome back to the morning show on KWAM, where Memphis goes for breaking news and also fun headlines. Um, We're going to read through a couple comments this morning because you guys have been active. And this is such a crazy show because Fridays always are that I've not been able to Look at some of these. So John writes this, and Dylan's in studio. He's going to help us out with some stories specifically on the sports side. John says, liberalism is a mental disorder. 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 From the Bronx. Uh, No, I agree with you, John. It really is when you look at how they are destroying our country. Either it is a mental disorder or it is um, murder. Right, because I believe that Democrats, and I'm talking about progressive Democrats, they really do hate this country and look at everything that they have access to. They will destroy it. So is it a mental disorder? Yes, I do, because it's insanity, especially like here in the city of Memphis. I have some remarks from the mayor. Maybe we can slip those in. 
where he was asked about his solutions to addressing our crime problem. And he went back to a talking point that we hear often, which is we need more community centers, right? We need another basketball court, pickleball court. Again, this is new, but we hear this over and over and over. And that is the textbook definition of insanity. So, okay, it is a mental disorder. Chris writes this, our lawmakers have other fish to fry. Oh, he's referring to the bill banning the the cold beer and refrigerators. Chris says, our lawmakers have other fish to fry. Instead of wasting time on cold beer sales, I wish they would focus on crappy school systems in our our state. Um, Kristen writing this, banning cold beer is not going to reduce the amount of drunk drivers in the state. This is an example of unnecessary legislation. And then Lionel reading this, um, and I'm reading these as I see them. Did that idiot really say, well, when we are all out in public, recognize us? Calm down, sister. So at least they go on to talk about Beyonce. We're talking about the cashless bail system, yada, yada, yada. Can't get through all of that one because it is lengthy. Um, Dana writing this one about the early voting. She says the voting center had no other voters. I asked one of the attendants about the turnout. She was reporting, Dylan, this is terrible. Only 30 or 40 voters a day so far. Um, And then Justin Johnson writing, listen, our early voting is a problem. And if we are to be a legitimate Republican Party, we must get out the vote. On that note, um, got a caller, Kristen, weighing in on our conversation we just had on voting and our legitimacy as a Republican Party. Kristen, floor is yours. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Ben. How are you doing today? Happy Friday. I cannot complain. I was listening to Chairman Vaughn talk about unity, and I just had a couple of thoughts. Um, he's, he's calling for unity, but it seems, from my perspective, Ben, that He's, he's doing more to divide than to unify, and I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I started attending Shelby GOP meetings about six months ago, and I was criticized and told that I was too aggressive, but Chairman Bond just praised Senator Taylor for being aggressive. Another example is that um, Carrie said that showing up is the most important thing, but again, we were criticized for showing up out of nowhere at these meetings. So I'm just a little confused about what the message is here and how how are we going to unify Republicans if there's a double standard? Mm. I've heard many of those same concerns. I think what we try to do as a news organization, Kristen, is try to get to the bottom of it because there is always he said, she said, they said. And at the end of the day, this is my stance. And I hope it's the stance of you. And I hope it's the stance of the local Republican Party, not including the chairman is there is too much at stake to be fighting like this. And we can point the blame at this faction and that faction and go on and do that and lose elections. But what has been working isn't working. So we're having this conversation on the national side um, with the RNC and the chair, Ronna McDaniel. We can't win an election. And at some point, we've got to look internally and reevaluate what we're doing as a party because, as I just said, our country and our county and city is going to hell. I'll give you the last word. I agree, Ben, and, and those are all excellent points. Um, I think it needs to start with partisan school board primaries. We need to be able to identify who we are electing to these grassroots positions. And as you know, six months ago, 
the Shelby GOP and the, and the CEC voted that down. Um, so it seems like it's, it's just another double standard that, you know, we're calling for unity and we, we want to be, we want to act like Republicans, but are we acting like Republicans or are we acting like Democrats? Mm, mm. That's a compelling, compelling thought. Kristen, so appreciate the call and keep speaking out, right? There is this, and, there, of course, there is this notion and this orthodoxy that Republicans cannot shoot inside the tent. And to some extent, I, I hear that. But when you're not winning elections and you have people that are actively Democrats in a party, um, we want to weed that out as soon as possible. Um, real quick, Dylan, because we are coming up at the end of the show. There is drama within the Tiger Nation. Or is there? Because we threw it out on our social media pages after Another loss. Share that last night. This is disappointing because the Tigers, the basketball team, they were doing so great, and now they're not. Yeah. Another loss last night. Yeah, we went on like a three-win streak against a lot of our conference teams, so that's good conference wins. But yeah, last night we lost to uh, University of Texas, um, not University, North Texas, um, which are there in our conference, 76 to 66. And it, I don't know. It did spark controversy, but I don't understand why. So I think that the the working theory out there is that there was a a lax in how Coach Penny Hardaway rolled the boys, mm-hmm. right? There was reporting um, and widely reported that this was a good year for them. And to do that meant a lot of hard work. But as they continued through the season, in his own words, he got a little easy on them. And I think that's showing up. So the criticism towards the coach is, why did you do that? Mm. Now, is it fair to say, you're a bad coach? All of the games you have won previously in the years that have been very successful mean nothing. I think a lot of our listeners, as I'm reading through some of the comments, when we pose the question, is Penny Hardaway the right choice for the Tigers? I don't think that's fair. That is is overreacting. Um, Some of the people saying he is the right coach for the team, then... Don writes this, no, it's obvious. And just like other schools who have hired legendary players to coach, it will be very hard to get rid of him though. So, yeah, I I mean, in my opinion, he's a good coach though. Like there have been games where we've lost and I don't think that you can a hundred percent put it on the coach. I mean, at some point you have to say, Hey, the players aren't playing as well as they should. And we have really, really good players. I mean, he can recruit players. That's his thing. But, you know, keeping them and coaching them is something that he's working on. And I will say that since he's been our coach, we've ha- we've had really, really good seasons. I mean, we've we've done well and we went to, you know, the the March Madness. You know, we've we've super sick th- that that is something that we haven't been able to do. You know, the 2016, 17, 18 seasons. And now that he's here, he's brought the team to that tournament, you know. We're Mm -hmm. looking forward to it now and hopefully that we can have a better time this go around. But as a coach, I like him. He's, he's, he's building a culture at Memphis, which Memphis is huge on. We're a basketball school. He's a great basketball Memphis basketball player. I like him. Yeah. Have you met him? I have not. That'd be super dope. (laughs) He's like a, I mean, he is a celebrity. He's a celebrity. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just asking, I mean, you do go to the school. Real quick, can I ask you this, since you are in school and you are getting ready to graduate? Yes. You already held your first job. You've been working for a while now, mm-hmm. correct? Started grocery store? Yeah. yeah. Uh, senior in high school. Did you have to apply, have an interview? 
Yeah. Did you bring in the parents, mom and dad? Um, no, but I was reluctant to go in because you know how the par- parents are like, you should go in and meet the the manager and ask if you can interview. I was so reluctant to do that, but uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was interviewed and it was n- by myself. Did you hear the story that I brought earlier? And I wanted to ask you as a Gen mm-hmm. Z dude, um, that these employers are actively avoiding hiring us mm-hmm. because they say they show up to interviews unprepared and really, really soft, unable to make eye contact. Yeah. They are wearing sweats. Yeah, well, that that's that's ridiculous. That, not, that is a parent thing, though. Your they, parents need to show you how to interview. They are um, refusing to turn on their cameras if the interview is over Zoom. Yeah, that's unacceptable. Our generation is not <laughs> great. We need it. We need to stiffen up. Yeah, we a do. little bit, straighten our backbones out. And, Agreed. Um, and be prepared as opposed to unprepared. All right, thank you guys for a fun week, Dylan. Great job, trip. Great job over there. I am actually going to be out on Monday. I am going to New York City, so pray for me. Um, We'll be fine. I live in Memphis. (laughs) Um, Frederick Tappan is going to be filling in for me on Monday. I'll be back on Tuesday, and we'll pick up the show then. Um, And Fred is fantastic, and you'll be in good hands. In the meantime, go to our website, kwamradio.com. Tell 50 friends about KWAM, okay? That's a mandate. And, and, And then... Follow us on Stop Memphis Crime as well, because that keeps on growing every single day. It's exciting to watch. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk Tuesday.